Okay, here's the deal. I've got this friend has a little problem. Could be bad. Not quite sure what to tell her. You want to go inside? No. I mean, I've got to get going. So what's the problem? Well, she kind of sort of thinks she might be a witch. Witches again, huh? Not a good thing, is it? Certainly not a question I get every day. How well do you remember Sunday school lessons? I suggest Exodus 22.18, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Meaning? If you go by the old school, it means put her to death. She's evil. Welcome to Welcome to the Hollowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about the second episode of Original Flavor Charmed. Yes, I've got you under my skin. Oof. Gross. Which also I don't think works at all with the episode. They've got one with shapeshifters coming up. Yeah, I would have gone with, if you were going to do like an old standard song, Mm -hmm. I'd have gone with You Make Me Feel So Young. Yeah, that would have been like way better and would have actually worked for the plot of the episode. Right? Come on, Charmed. From 10 years ago, call us. 20, right? Oh my god. This episode came out in 1998. Yep, that was was over 20 years ago. Damn. Well, now that I feel old, (laughs) this episode was directed by John T. Kretschmer. What? But this isn't a pilot. I thought he only did pilots. But yes, he directed the episode from last time. And this episode was written by Brad Kern. So already we're going to see the battle for the soul of Charmed begin. Yes, there are two opposing forces in Charmed. One is Constance M. Burge, who I feel like I can say without editorializing is the sole force of good on this show, creatively speaking, who is fighting to create a show about sisterhood and witchcraft that respects Wicca as an actual religion, while also portraying it as, like, a cool superpower-y thing. She's the person who wants to do a show that actually means something, that actually has some weight behind it. And actually empowers women in a way that doesn't involve bustiers and shooting bright lights out of their vaginas. And then there's Brad Kern. And then there's Brad Kern. He wants women to wear bustiers and shoot light out of their vaginas. Although, in all fairness, the light out of the vagina thing is from New Charmed, which I don't know if we'll actually get to at any point. We are not going to talk about New Charmed, unless, like, I don't know, maybe I'll make it a high, high level Patreon tier. And that was empowering vagina light. Okay. But, yeah, Brad Kern is the other creative force in the show. He will eventually take it over in around season three. Yes, I... Yeah, around, around there sometime. We'll lose Shannon Doherty. Oh, no. And we'll lose Constance and Burge. That one's actually bad. And then Brad Kern will turn it into a show about women wearing sexy costumes and trying to find romantic love instead of trying to, like, be good sisters. Which is weird because once we lose Shannon Doherty, the chance for stories about what it means to be a sister actually open up a lot because you have a half-sister joining them and you a woman who wasn't raised with them and you kind of get this whole other avenue of stories opened up to you about sisterhood and honestly the dynamics shift in a pretty interesting way because 
Piper does end up stepping into Prue's initial role. And although I know the explosion power comes before that, it is interesting how they're all, all of their power sets kind of shift sort yeah. of to accommodate their new roles as eldest, middle, youngest. Wow, Phoebe does become a classic middle sister, doesn't she? Mm. It needs to be all about her! God. Well, let's talk about this episode for now. We'll get into that when we get into that. So we have some MVP extras right off the bat. We have Dollar Store Rick Astley and Dollar Store Therusa Bulk from the uh, craft. Yeah, it's wild. They, I didn't notice them, even though the show literally opens on their faces. Yeah, they're, co- uh, they're on a date at Quake, which is the restaurant that hired Piper to be a sous chef last episode. And now, starting the long-running tradition of Piper doing jobs that are only tangentially related to her training, Piper is somehow in charge of front of house. See, it turns out that the incredibly fake French guy who hired her last episode quit to start his own restaurant, which, wasn't what? this his restaurant? Yes! Well, I mean, he was head chef. Someone else probably owned it but wouldn't he be what what what's the benefit if you're head chef at a restaurant what's the benefit of quitting to start your own restaurant um i guess the economic risk also i do like that they point out how fake his accent is yeah yeah i don't think that they said it was fake last week but this time piper does call him like he of the fake accent yes So Piper is running front of house, which, as you said, is in no way a job related to cooking, the thing that she is interested in. Look, not to indulge in stereotypes here, but are you telling me that not a single person involved in this show was ever in the restaurant industry? (sighs) Also, also just putting this out in the universe, but she was hired yesterday. Well, Well, uh, okay, you're... Sorry, go on. I think you're about to say what I was about to say. I mean, was she hired yesterday? Because apparently a lot of stuff happened between last episode and this episode that we were not privy to. Yeah, I feel like we're sort of jumping on it. Like, maybe there should have been an episode or at least a few scenes before this scene. Because uh, Piper complaining about how busy she is and about the incredibly different new status quo... You had one episode to maintain continuity, and you already fucked it up, Charmed. This does not bode well for your future. Yeah, well, you know, they're getting us ready, okay? They got us ready. Piper's going to be doing a job that isn't appropriate for her, and they're not going to care about rules and continuity. Yeah. Those are, they're getting us ready. So, Piper is complaining about the new shift in dynamics to Phoebe when they're interrupted by their friend, Brittany. There's their good, good friend, Brittany, who they've known for a long time and will surely come back many, many episodes after this one. Everyone knows Brittany. She's a mainstay. She replaces uh, T.W. Knight, King. King. She replaces T.W. King when Andy gets (laughs) at the end of season one in the opening credits spoilers yes spoilers andy gets oh i know we talked about this a little bit last episode but is is andy is he a jesse or is he a graham oh he's a graham he's definitely a graham because he sticks around for a period for long enough to have sex with someone in the main cast before uh getting killed off also well and you know what he's not even really a graham because they do still talk about him don't they do they forget all about andy after he's gone 
I think he gets like mentioned once in season uh, two before Prue bounces back with uh, Betty Cooper's dad from Riverdale. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I still say he's a Graham. Andy is the Graham of this show. But we're not talking about Andy yet. We're talking about Brittany, who has interrupted this conversation to show off her fun new hand tattoo. Okay, it looks like a hand stamp. It looks like a hand stamp that you would get at a club. And Phoebe's all like, oh, I thought you couldn't get hand tattoos. I thought they were illegal. And, okay, Phoebe, they're not. They're not illegal. But you know what they are? Tacky. Look, if you want a hand tattoo, whatever, that's fine. I'm not going to criticize you. I'm going to criticize this tattoo, though, because it is so small. It is going to spread, and it is going to be a blue rat in, like, a year. I mean, you're right. It, it probably looks like a hand stamp because it is a hand stamp. It is an awful tattoo. I'm sure there are pretty hand tattoos out there. Well, I, th- I know lots of people get ring tattoos, and I, some I think people the I know... actresses in this show get ring tattoos later. Yeah, so but those are fine. I mean, the real problem with the hand is that there's not a lot of real estate there, and the smaller the tattoo, the more likely it is that it's going to spread and look terrible in a few years. And, I mean, that tattoo has such fine lines on it, there's no way it's going to maintain that shape. It's going to be... It's also off-kilter and... Yeah, it's not centered. It's not... It's not... It... It's so bad. But... She should sue her tattoo artist, really. She should. Or, I mean, the internet's just been invented. She should go online and shame him. Yes, but she's showing it off. She's like... Phoebe, touch my hand and look at it. Remember it in case something happens to me later and you have to identify me by this very, very me-specific hand tattoo that is illegal for anyone else to have. I got it after I saw that episode of Buffy, and keep that in mind in case that comes up later in the episode. Ugh. But nobody cares about Brittany. Brittany leaves to meet up with her fiancé, Max. I do love how nothing this character, how she shows up to establish herself, and as soon as she does, she leaves. Well, she establishes that she has a fiancé. She's like, hi, my name is Brittany. I have a fiancé and a hand tattoo. Bye. Yeah, basically. Brittany's gone now. Now we're worried about the guy at the other end of the bar. Uh, Yes, I would be very worried about him. Well, he triggers the very first use of magic in this episode. Yes, Phoebe looks at him, looks at him. Doesn't touch him. And gets a premonition of him coming over and asking her out. Okay, so just to be clear, the very first use of magic in this episode is about who's going to ask Phoebe on a date. Yes, the first use of magic in this episode is directly linked to sex. We were complaining amongst ourselves about continuity because... Usually Phoebe has to touch something to get a premonition, but I was thinking about it. She didn't touch anything to get her first premonition. That's true. In the pilot episode, she was just taking a bike ride and then she flashed. It's weird how they limit Phoebe's powers later in the show. Because in the first season, it seems like her precognition can do a lot of stuff she doesn't seem to be able to do later. It's weird how they always seem to feel like they've overpowered Phoebe and then rip it back. Like, later on in the series, they give her an active power and then they're like, wait, no! That power's too expensive to film, so we're gonna take it away! Although, I get it with premonitions, because if you've got a character who's too precognition, it's kind of hard to write a plot around them. Well, I mean, you need the precognition to be out of their control, which is fine. That's easy to write. The powers that be give her the visions. Uh. Yeah. Well, 
Piper is very upset that Phoebe is using her magic. Yeah, because Phoebe's like, hey, Piper, I just had a vision that that guy's going to come over here and ask me out. And I'm going to do it because it looks like he's he's one of those guys who's attractive in a way where you can tell in about five months he's not going to be attractive anymore. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's attractive in the way where you can tell that he is kind of a douche, but he's got a lot of confidence, so he probably has money. Well, I was going to say he looks like the older son of someone who owns a car dealership. That's the aesthetic I'm getting from him. That's a, yeah, that's a good description. Someone who played sports seriously recently enough so he's still pretty buff, but is rapidly losing the discipline and everything involved with sports to maintain his taking care of himself-ness. Yeah, he wasn't good enough to play it in college, but he says that he was just focusing on his studies because his family was wealthy enough that he didn't need a sports scholarship. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a very specific kind of dude, but you know what? I feel like we've described him, though. Yeah, and good at Phoebe for taking a run at him before he stops being attractive in three weeks. But Piper is not happy that Phoebe is using her magic. Yes, apparently at some point off screen, the sisters had a conversation about how they should not use their magic because it might make warlocks attack them. Even though that's definitely not where we left it last week. Yet yeah, the end of the the pilot ended with Prue talking about how they need to practice, like they need to get used to their magic because more warlocks were definitely going to attack them and they would need to use it to defend themselves. Yeah. So it, shouldn't they be practicing their magic as much as possible? Well, and also, as we just said, Phoebe literally has no control over her premonitions. It's not fair to get mad at her for using it. Yeah, I mean, I know at at this point, none of us have control over our powers, Piper, but Piper and Prue's powers are both linked to physical action. Also, they're they're only using their powers, Piper and Prue, right now, when they're startled or when they're scared, but it is something, it's a reflex, it is something that they control, you know? Yeah. like, Like, they can develop control of it. And also, again, they're both, uh... They're both triggered by very specific physical motion. For example, Prue narrowing her eyes and Piper flinging out her hands. Right. But there's no way to control getting premonitions. You can't just, like... Not look at stuff, because at this point in the show, it seems like they're triggered by looking at things. Well, and also you can't force a premonition when you want one. Whereas, obviously, later, Prue and Piper will be able to use their freezing and telekinesis when they want to. I think we only see Piper's freezing, like, is it once in this episode? Or a couple of times. They seem a lot stingier with Piper's powers than, uh, Oh, Bruce. yeah, but as you'll recall, remember, Piper freezes that kitchen for a long-ass time. That's true. That probably cost a lot of money. The biggest problem with Piper's powers right now, I can't believe I got that out the first time, <laughs> is that she can't unfreeze at will. Hmm. That's the big problem. I do like the problem they give her later which is that her new power is triggered by the same motion so she can't control when she's going to freeze something or when she's going to make it blow up oops and yet that never goes horribly wrong in the way you think it might oh man all right so meanwhile out in the parking lot poor Brittany is walking into an urban legend Well, Brittany has made the fatal mistake of being blonde in an episode of Charmed. Okay, before you brought this up, I've watched this show many times, and I did not realize, like, I didn't clock how 
deadly it is to be blonde in this show. Yeah, either you're going to be the victim of a demon, or you're going to be a demon, and therefore the victim of a charmed one. Victim. Yeah. Eh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Uh, Brittany is going through an urban legend. She's getting in her car. And then she adjusts her rearview mirror, and oh no, there's someone in the back seat. Dun, dun, dun. This uh, horrible scene of car-based carnage is is interrupted by Shannon Doherty's crotch, which rocks directly onto frame. Okay, it's literally a recreation of one of Frank Miller's shots from Catwoman Year Zero. Oh, God, the, the ass shot thing, the whole ass ass shot. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just a tight, tight zoom in on Prue's crotch while Andy sleeps in the bed behind her so that we know that she has been bad. Although, Ugh, like... Bad. Right, exactly. Like, oh, oh, no, she had sex with someone she used to date and is flirting with again and is in good terms with... Yeah, I mean, it's 1998. Are we still slut-shaming women? I mean, I know that's a ridiculous thing to say. It's 2019 and we're still slut-shaming women, but... The amount of guilt Prue feels... I know it's not just, you know, having sex with someone, but the amount of guilt Prue feels over this is vastly disproportionate, although I do feel like it does sort of tie in well to her role as sort of the sister's... Conscience? I was going to say mother figure. You know, because they talk a lot in the first episode, uh, which I do think is sort of a through line for the early parts of Charmed, about how Prue is basically, she was the sister, the mother of the sisters, because even though Grams was raising them, Grams was older, and Prue had to take up a lot of responsibilities. No, that's true. I'm, I'm glad you brought it back to motherhood, because as we'll see, this show's kind of scattered about what she actually feels guilty about. She talks about feeling like maybe she shouldn't have slept with a guy on the first date, even though it's really their, like, millionth date. Mm -hmm. But also a lot of it is thinking maybe she shouldn't have slept with a guy when she doesn't really know what kind of responsibilities she has right now. Because she doesn't really know what being a charmed one is going to entail. And so she doesn't know if she has the emotional bandwidth to begin a new relationship. Honestly, even though this is a Brad Kern episode, I feel like it still has a lot of the early stuff that made Charmed good, a lot of the early character dynamics that are interesting and should have been explored more deeply. Yeah, well, I mean, Constance and Burge is still sitting in the room when this episode happens, when it's broken and written. And, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in this episode that we'll get to when we get to that. When we, uh, Piper's subplot is just... Yeah, Piper's subplot is great. But uh, as for right now... We get the second use of magic in the episode when Prue telekinetically throws Andy's alarm clock out the window as to not wake up her one-time booty call. Bang buddy? Sex partner. Sure, sex partner. I mean, obviously he still wakes up. I mean, he still hears it going off. And then he, he doesn't seem to question why there's no alarm clock there when he tries to turn it off and it's gone. Yeah, I, I feel like I would question that a bit. I do also want to give credit for sexualizing the hell out of Andy. Yeah, look at those abs! Yeah, like, when the shot is framed by Shannon Doherty's crotch, it's also on Andy's ass. Like, he is wrapped in blankets, and he's, you know, topless from the top, and the blankets are all clingy to his backside, and it's it's a sexualized shot you don't normally see of dudes. 
So good. Good. Yay. On, good on you, Charmed. I feel like we do sort of lose a bit of that later when it starts to be all about what outfits the sisters are wearing. Well, yeah. Then plus the love interest becomes Leo, and eh. yeah, Leo. Leo has a David Boreanaz problem where he was very, very pretty for about fifteen seconds when he's first introduced. Aww. And then he thickened out in a way that doesn't entirely work for him there there are some people who thicken out pleasantly i'm i'm gonna call uh oh what's his name he was phoebe's uh like eddie mcclintock who you might recognize as the main character guy in warehouse 13 or you might remember him as the guy with the broken leg phoebe met in the hospital while rachel was giving birth oh yes but he phoebe from friends not not Alyssa milano Yes, Phoebe from Friends. But he thickened out nicely. Like, he became more attractive when he became... Well, I mean, I think the problem is, with both David Boreanaz and Leo later in this show, is that they have baby faces. Like, that's what makes them attractive. And it's like, as soon as you hit 23 and 5 days old, it stops working for you. Yeah. Some actors can pull it off and make it work. A lot of, a lot of people can. People who have, who have baby faces, though? Because that's the thing, they're attractive. They're no, no, a, a lot, a, there are a lot of people who look good heavier. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's about getting heavier. I think it's about having a, a face that looks too young and then it doesn't age right. Yeah, yeah, it's a very certain... I don't want to go going... Like, some people don't make the transition from twink to bear gracefully. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I think that's the perfect way to put it. Let's move on to Kit Watch 1998. Woo! Kit Watch 1998, or in the in our case, Kit Watch 2019. Right, right. Well, I mean, the show's airing in 1998. Yeah, and we're watching in 2019. There you go. So they still have the cat. Yes, their their familiar Kit is still around as of right now. She's walking across the counter while Piper is watching. God, the Discovery Channel, the History Channel. What would this be on? The Learning Channel. Oh yeah, before the Learning Channel was all. Yep unpleasant medical things yep anyway it's whatever whatever cable channel used to show actual historical documentaries this one is about the salem witch trials all right we had we had a thing about this i i do want to point out when we were watching this episode you paused it to look up if hand tattoos were illegal in the united states in the 90s Yes. You, you did not pause to look up if Mary Esty was an actual person. That is accurate. That is accurate. So the story is about the Salem witch trials, and apparently the story that's being told is about one particular witch, Mary Esty, who broke away from the group of accused women and proclaimed her innocence and made a run for the church. But as soon as she touched the door handle of the church, a bolt of lightning came and struck her dead, which did not look good for her case. It'd be the smoking gun, as it were. Yeah. Now, I don't know if Mary Esty is a real woman. I do know that this documentary shows them burning women at Salem, which also didn't happen. So I'm going to guess no. Well, I think we should talk about this a little bit, because, as you mentioned, there were no witch burnings at Salem, but... Also, there were no women burned at Salem. There were no women. I, I, I want to I want to make it clear that we're, it's not like we're distinguishing between whether they were witches or not. Yes, but in the universe of Charmed, there were actual witches at Salem. Or at least there was one actual witch at Salem, the Charmed One's ancestor, 
Melinda Warren. Now, were they actually burned? I don't remember if in that episode she's being burned. Uh, she is being burned. Uh, but I will give them some leeway here that maybe burning was like a necessary thing to do because... They... She was a real witch. Well, yeah. And sure, they could hang her, but what if she had Phoebe's levitation power? Then they'd feel like assholes. They'd pull the thing and she'd just be standing there like, what? That See, that's weird because it's like, you don't know what to do. You're like, well, this proves you're a witch, but I'm, I'm kind of... I'm kind of I'm kind of confused about where we go from here. Yes, in Europe, witches were burned, but in Salem, all of the women who were killed were killed by hanging. Also, did, did they not crush women? Was that somewhere else? I, that was also in Europe. I don't. I would have to look it up to be sure, but I'm pretty sure no women were crushed in Salem either. Mm. Also, I mean, this is a show about witches, and as you say, there were real witches at Salem in the universe of this show because Melinda Warren was at Salem. But Salem was a terrible thing. All witch burnings were really, I mean, they were all about the patriarchy and keeping women in their place and not really about witches. Although, I mean, if you want to get into it, a lot of witches is about the patriarchy being afraid of women. I mean, I, I just I just want to say that I prefer witch fictional stories where they declare that Salem was a terrible thing that non-witches did to other non-witches and that witches steered clear of Salem. Well, like Anya said in Buffy, witches were fine during the Salem witch trials. It was only bad for the falsely accused and really it's never pleasant for them. I, I prefer that kind of hand-waving about Salem. And I mean, I don't really want to get into it right now because it's I could go on about it forever, but... The weird touristification of this massive crime that was committed in Salem is oh. bizarre. If you ever go to Salem, which... Don't. Just don't. Yeah, I, I, I went because I lived in Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, okay. But it's such a huge tourist trap. There's a goddamn statue of Elizabeth Montgomery. I found out today that they do, like, a little stage show with the Sanderson sisters at Salem. God. That's Mur gross. Women were murdered there. Oh, yeah. And it's a great place if you want to get your tarot read, because that's, like, literally every other business in Salem. Or, if you're too Christian for that, they also have angel readings, which is tarot if you're afraid of going to hell uh, i have to imagine it's basically the same thing though right yeah it's basically the same thing i mean there's a different angel deck than the tarot deck but it's the same general principle so i also really like as the narrator is describing mary Esty running away getting hit by lightning uh, there are fake old-timey prints of the event, which they honestly look pretty accurate to... Yeah, they look like old-timey woodcuttings. Until the last one where it goes all heavy metal magazine when she's being hit by lightning. I mean, yeah, no, that one probably doesn't look very historically accurate. But Piper is somewhat perturbed by this. Yeah, no, this is the start of Piper's plot, where she's worried that maybe her soul is damaged by being a charmed one. Yeah, and she, as soon as Prue enters the room, she turns off the TV really quickly, but Prue, being 
her you know good older sister was like maybe you shouldn't be watching that it seems like it's freaking you out And Piper changes the subject right away because Piper doesn't want to talk about being freaked out. And she just tells Prue, hey, Andy called while you were in the shower. I also, I really like the bit of stage business Shannon Doherty's doing here. She goes to the fridge and she takes out a clay jug of water. It's, it's, I believe it's orange juice. I believe it's a clay jug filled with orange juice. Because I was just thinking as she was pouring it, oh, they're those fancy people who transfer their juices from the carton to other containers. Or maybe it's fresh squeezed. God, how much money do you have? That seems like a rich person thing to me. Or maybe a chef thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can see Piper doing that. Yeah. So, Prue's like, were you watching witch stuff? And Piper's like, Andy called while you were in the shower. (laughs) I I really like it because Prue's response is, well, what did you tell him? And Piper says, I told him you were in the shower. Piper susses out that Prue had sex on the first date, and that is now the topic of conversation. Family meeting to talk about Prue's sex life. And Prue's like, it wasn't the first date. We were dating for quite some time, and Piper's like, that was over a decade ago. I think that still counts. Yeah, so Phoebe comes in, and she's like, what's going on in here? And Piper's like... Prue had sex with Andy because I guess she's just telling on everyone all the time now. Yeah. Are yeah. we sure she's not the youngest sister? She is doing a youngest sister bit right now. And Phoebe's like, Phoebe's upset that Prue was going to tell Piper that she had sex, but not tell her that she had sex. This is a very weird scene, honestly. I don't have siblings. You have a sister. Is this how sisters talk? No, this isn't how my sister and I talk. Yeah, this seems a little Sex in the City-ish because... Piper's like, boy, I guess everyone was having sex. What with Prue and Andy and you and Alec? And Prue's like, wait, what? And Phoebe's like, oh yeah, I had sex with a dude last night. And apparently Piper just can't get off the snitching train because she's like, yeah, a dude she had a premonition about. Wow, she is just snitching all over the place. I liked, though, the way that they tried to shame her back to keep her from shaming Prue. And they were like, well, you had sex last night, too. And she's just refusing to be shamed. She's like, I have no shame. Yeah, I I got banged in good last night. I lived in New York. Oh, God, is she the Brita of this show? She is. She is. She is absolutely the Brita of this show. But Prue's like, I thought we agreed that we weren't going to use our powers. And also, you got in at three last night, young lady. You're breaking house rules all over the place. And Phoebe's like... I'm still on. I'm still on New York time, and Prue says that would mean that you got back at six. And and Phoebe's like, hmm, oh well. Is it six? Is that right? Is New York three hours ahead of California? I'm yeah. terrible at time zones. Oh my god. Well, I'm assuming because Connecticut's three hours ahead of Portland. Okay, then yes, yes. I work for a company that does work all over the country, and I literally have to Google like, what time is it in Arkansas before I call someone? Yeah. So Prue's like... Luckily, Google is, like, super helpful about that. They'll just literally flash me what time it is in Arkansas. <laughs> so Prue's like, Phoebe, we have a lot to worry about. Not just warlocks, but Andy was telling me about some guy who's out there abducting women, which ace date talk, Andy. Okay, um, I know from Brooklyn Nine-Nine that that's what cops do. They talk about all the grisly stuff they see all day. Also, 
are are they not assuming that the women abducting is related at all to that guy who was killing women in the pilot episode? Because well, they never caught him. Well, speaking of establishing early things that are going to be a runner throughout Charmed, the Charmed ones don't think of anyone else as being witches because they're very focused on themselves. So they don't assume it could be a warlock because they don't assume those other women could be witches. Even though there were witches being killed just last episode. Oh no, I, I was thinking Andy should assume that whoever was killing the women is the same person and he oh, just got better. Oh, because they never caught that guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a different MO. The guy who was killing women was leaving them. This guy is kidnapping people. Yeah, and I guess he was killing women at ceremonial altars and this guy's just abducting them. Yeah. Although I would not assume those women are still alive. Well, I mean, I think you have to, like, to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. But Prue is much, as we can tell from the turn this conversation has taken, Prue is much better at changing the subject. Although, it is strange that she's like, remember, there's not just warlocks that are out there to worry about. There's this guy who's abducting women. I'm like, you don't know that that's not warlock related. Oh, I was going somewhere else with that. I was like, yeah, I know. I've been a woman for 20 years. I'm aware. As, as a woman who's lived on Earth, this is a thing you become aware of. Yeah, exactly. So... She does throw in also, I'm not ashamed, but then everyone kind of just side-eyes her. It's like, if you were not ashamed, then you would have started with, I'm not ashamed. You wouldn't throw that in at the last second. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Andy, we cut to Andy at his work office. His work office? The station? Yes, the station where they are talking to Max, Brittany's established fiancé. God, she had like, what, three lines of dialogue and they were all establishing things that were important later? Yep, yep. Yep, the fiancé is there, and he has a picture of his his fiancé, Brittany, because she has gone missing. And the picture has her holding her hand up next to her face so that you don't forget she has that tattoo. Dear Lord. Also, is, isn't it kind of early to declare her missing? It's been like a night. Yeah, but he was expecting her to come home, and she didn't come home. I mean, it's too early for the police to really start investigating. Which but, they do not say. Well, they don't say that because Andy assumes immediately it could be the same person who's abducted as he says four other women yes but that's not what he tells max the fiance he just says look just wait a little bit she'll probably come home they usually come home and max is like yeah thanks and he leaves and daryl's like so that abductor guy definitely abducted her right and andy's like oh yeah okay so is it do you think it's bad to tell somebody just go home and don't worry about it when you're pretty sure that their fiance was abducted like would it be better to say, oh no, some guy's been abducting people and have him go worry about it or maybe like run off and put himself in danger? Or is it better to be like, go home and wait for her call. I'm sure it'll be fine. Like, I don't know what the thing to do is in that situation. I think if Andy was better at lying than saying go home and it'll probably be fine would be, but he, he sounds more like, look, I guess it's not lying. He sounds more like, I don't care what happened and I want you to get out of my office, which in all fairness is I feel most people's what most people get when they report crimes to the police Oof, that's terrible i mean i know it's true but it's terrible i mean when i got mugged that was my experience with the police they were like what do you want us to do about it and i'm like i just assumed i should tell you that i got mugged and they're like okay we'll write some stuff down but don't expect anything and i was like okay well i mean wasn't the answer to what do you want us to do about that fill out a police report for the insurance i mean that's what you go to the police for in all fairness to the police uh he threw i didn't have any money in my wallet and he threw it in the bushes so (laughs) 
millennials are killing the mugging industry. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to laugh. It's it fine. probably really scary at the time. It went as well as a mugging could possibly go because I was out there with my two friends who respectively were weighted down with really, really expensive camera equipment at the time. He mugged me. Uh, he just took my wallet. He didn't. A- he didn't ask for my phone or anything. He just took my wallet, which had nothing in it, and he just threw it in the bushes. So, I mean, he could have taken my cards, which I would have just canceled. Well, I mean, that's probably why I didn't take them. He pr- he probably knew he wouldn't be able to get very far before they were canceled. It was a pretty. It was not a successful mugging, as far as muggings go. But no one was injured, and my friends didn't lose their expensive equipment. So I guess there's really nothing the cops could have done. But. I mean, yeah, well. So, points to the cops, I guess. But, yeah, they come off as very dismissive towards his whole, you know, my fiancé is missing. Yeah. Although it is also very soon. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times what you see in these kinds of shows, we're not seeing this because we know that there are four other women missing and that these cops already think that Brittany might be another one of these missing girls. But what you would usually see in this kind of show is... The cops being dismissive because when your romantic partner disappears, they assume that that means she left you Mm. and you just haven't realized that yet. That's like the usual trope. And honestly, it's the 90s. It's possible she just, you know, got drunk and crashed at a friend's house. Right. And she wasn't able to call because she doesn't have a giant cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a given that everyone would have a cell phone. But they're very casual as soon as he leaves about the fact that this woman was definitely abducted. Yeah. We cut from the police station to the church. Uh, from one from one bastion of society to another. Where Piper is understandably kind of nervous. Well, she's gone to the church specifically because she wants to kind of test whether she is going to be struck by lightning if she enters it. Yeah, she's worried about herself being evil. And a priest comes over and he's like, hey, I know you, you're with Quake. You said you were going to drop off unused food at the end of the night for homeless people. And she's like, yeah, which I think is sort of an interesting dynamic that this might be a church Piper was already involved with. I think it probably was, yeah. But so this is probably, I mean, I don't know what time is throwback to our last podcast so i don't know how much time has passed between last episode and this episode but you know the hallowells strike me as uh christmas and easter christians if anything oh yeah so she probably this might be her church but she probably hasn't been there since she got her powers yeah the priest seems like not not that familiar with her but like he might kind of know her a little bit like he knows her to see her you know he recognizes her on site but he doesn't know her and she talks about how oh yeah i'm coming by later but i thought i'd just drop by a little bit first and i have some questions about what the church thinks about things that aren't necessarily holy she tells him that she was wondering if it's true that evil things can't enter a church without being struck down and he's like you mean like werewolves and vampires and she's like, nope, wrong show. <laughs> right? She's like, no, I mean witches. And he says, I wouldn't risk it. Which... Yeah, this this priest is a little old school here. He is very old school because I... But this is a really... Does he want to save her soul or not? 
This is a really good scene, though. Especially, Holly Murray Combs does a lot of small acting here. Yeah, you can really tell, you know, why she got cast at this point. Yeah, she gets out of the car. There's a... I love how slow this is. She walks across the street. It's all very... They're very good at building up the tension here. She goes over. She gets really close to the church door. She's reaching for the handle and then god is fucking with her i guess yeah there's there's a there's a rumble of thunder as she reaches for the door which is either very inconvenient or very convenient i don't know yeah it's a clear day out i do not blame her for getting freaked out and running away but no you're right god is god is definitely fucking with her I, in, in fact i um I, I wrote in my notes like i don't believe in that like i don't believe in evil things being unable to enter a church but that would fuck me up (laughs) i'd be like oh because i do believe in spiritual forces i do believe in something bigger than myself i just don't believe that you know god listens to a bunch of guys in rome Hmm. so i i would be like yeah no it's fine and then i would reach out and the thunder would strike and i'd be like you know what better safe than sorry (laughs) I don't need to go into this church. So we go from the church to Buckland. Uh, it's Bucklands, but it's weird because it says Buckland Auction House, but it gets referred to as Bucklands later. Yeah, it's 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 Buckland's Auction House. Uh, Prue needs a new job because you will recall last week she... Uh, she got fired by her ex-fiance. Like, that was just an HR nightmare. The 90s really were like a dark period for... You know, and now. God. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about Buckland. Mm-hmm. Because the Buckland auction house will, spoiler alert, Prue's going to get the job, and this is going to become a thing throughout the series. And it's called the Buckland auction house after Raymond Buckland, who is a Wiccan who was credited with bringing Gardnerian Wiccanism to America back in the 1960s. So he's like the Wiccan. Ah. Yeah, it's more... We're, we're assuming Constance Emberge here. I mean, there's really no other person who would have written that in. So, uh, Prue is late for a job interview because she's a rom-com heroine in this scene. I know! She runs to the elevator and then drops all her stuff. Like, it could not be more rom com And she's talking to a guy with, uh, I want to say Madonna's ex-husband hair, the one who ended up being gay. Well, I just think it's poofy 90s hair. I mean, I don't think we can tie this to any one specific 90s era person it's just generally 90s hair i'm also interested in the guy behind him with the backwards baseball cap (laughs) what is he doing in this auction house everyone else is dressed up and he's like joe pesci i assume he was because we're gonna see people working on the auction house i assume he's one of the contractors who's like putting up the new exhibit or something ah smart the guy next to him looks kind of like if chris Catan and uh Steve Zahn got in a transporter accident and were merged into one person. I could see that. Yeah, definitely. And then there's also another guy in the elevator. He's wearing a suit. He's wearing a suit. So the front guy, puffy hair guy, hands Prue some of her stuff back. And then she picks up her cell phone. And it's Andy. And listen, we're going to later talk about 
whether or not puffy hair guy should hold this phone call against her. And right now, I am going to come down firmly on the side of he should, because you shouldn't take phone calls in an elevator full of people. Yeah, that's super rude. But the call is from Andy, and she's freaked out because how did Andy get her cell phone number? God, remember when people didn't know your cell phone number? Well, I mean, he wouldn't have known it anyway because she wouldn't have given it to him, but he got it because he's a cop, and that's not okay. Not okay, Andy. I was just thinking, like, everyone uh, everyone who needs to get in contact with me has my cell phone number. It's, like, what I give out to people. Right. But she didn't give it to Andy because he she doesn't want him to have it. She doesn't want him to call her, but I guess, yeah, that's a good point. Like, before your cell phone was your main phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he used his cop powers to find it, which, really, Andy, that's so creepy. Do you remember the cannibal cop? I do remember the cannibal cop. So there's a lot of people who talk about how the cannibal cop probably got a raw deal because he almost certainly wasn't... (laughs) Raw deal. Sorry, go on. Oh my god. The point is, he almost certainly wasn't actually going to kill and eat people. I I genuinely do believe that. Yeah. And he almost certainly was just, like, talking through his fantasies online with other like-minded people, and we don't want to imprison people for their fantasies and stuff like that. Yeah. But the fact is, he is a cop, and he did get this woman's address using his cop connections, and that is so not okay. Yeah, don't punish people for having weird fetishes if they don't act on them. But also, don't use your cop powers to... Get women's addresses and phone numbers. Yeah, that's bad. But yeah, I definitely would not hire Prue after this loud conversation where she's like, this place smells awful and everyone here is terrible and I'm probably not even going to get this stupid job, but shut up, Andy, and don't call me. Yeah, she's like, she's like, this place is so not me and also I'm terribly not qualified. Which, why is she saying that? She's definitely qualified for this job. But also, why is she acting like she doesn't want it with Andy? Like, why would her conversation with Andy not- What- Is she trying to be cool? Why would she not say, I'm on my way to a very important job interview that I care about. We can talk later. Like, say that, end the conversation, and then nothing that follows has to happen. Yeah, the whole- Her whole smack-talking herself and the job is- deeply bizarre and it only exists so she can have a rom-com-esque misunderstanding with poofy hair guy yeah (laughs) okay so this actually reminds me of a scene from shopaholic okay which is a show that just gives me anxiety like which is a movie and book series that gives me so much anxiety i just can't with it anymore but the this bill collector keeps trying to come after her Mm-hmm. So she changes his ringtone in her phone to, I forget his name, She, but she changes the ringtone in her phone to her saying, do not pick up, this is Tom Smith, do not pick up this phone call. And then she's in the elevator and he sees her and he thinks it might be her, so he calls her phone and the ringtone is her shouting, this is Tom Smith, do not pick up this phone call. God. Embarrassing. So. Oh, I, I don't know if we've given this away, but. Poofy hair guy is Rex Buckland. God, Rex Buckland. So, uh, Prue is going to be late for the job interview because she needs to be on the 12th floor 
and yet every other floor has been hit, even though there are, like, five people in the elevator, and there are, like, there are so many floors, there can't be enough people to need to get off on all of these floors. Well, yeah, maybe somebody hit all the buttons to be a jerk. But Prue uses her powers to keep the elevator from stopping at any of the other floors. So, there are really two options here. Either, which is what I think is the case, she telekinetically just lifted the elevator up to the top floor. Or she telekinetically overrode the controls of the elevator. Which seems less likely to me, but... I mean, it could be either, but I don't think either is safe. I don't, I don't... I don't feel confident that this elevator is not going to crash to the ground when she gets off and isn't holding it up anymore. Yeah. E- either one of those options seems bad for the other people in the elevator when she gets out. Yeah. So, back at Quake, uh, Phoebe is helping out? I guess so. Well, I mean, she needs money, and we saw how busy they were at Quake, so I guess Phoebe's a waitress at Quake now. Yeah. You know what? She lived in New York. I'm sure she worked as a waitress. Oh, yeah. So she's handing a bill to... Stefan. Who looks... Huh, I wonder if Stefan's going to be the bad guy in this episode. I mean, if you were paying attention to the eyes in the rearview mirror when uh, Brittany got abducted at the beginning of the episode, yes, this is that guy. But, oh my god, he looks... You know what the rearview mirror didn't catch? his bangs his terrible terrible short bangs i mean yeah they're real bad they are real bad they're like i mean they're they're serial killer bangs yeah okay so let's talk about some serial killer behavior here okay phoebe drops off the check with him and she's like oh my god you're stefan the famous photographer and he's like you recognize me and she's like well i live in new york <laughs> yes <laughs> and he is out, he is he is sitting with another woman. He's sitting with this red-haired woman. And he's clearly flirting with Phoebe right now and he's all like, "You're gorgeous and I I love getting compliments from a gorgeous woman." And Phoebe's like, "Um, your girlfriend's right there?" Stefan says, "She's not my girlfriend." And I don't know how the girl feels about that, but she does get up and stomp away when he says that. Because He's like, she's not my girl. She's not my girlfriend. And Phoebe's like, then why are you whispering? And the redheaded girl's like, nope. Out. Fuck you both. Like, I don't... And then Stefan writes down his phone number and is like, let me... He, he writes down the address that his modeling studio is at. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, not his phone number. Just the address. And he's like, I want to photograph you. And it's like... You're giving me douche chills right now, so... I mean, I know this guy's famous, but also Phoebe have the gift of fear a little bit here. Because no part of this doesn't come off serial killery. He's like, whatever, I don't care about that other girl. I want you now. <laughs> and Phoebe is not even a little concerned that that guy was just such a total douche to the girl he was with. She's just so elated that he wants to photograph her and she's all like, is he watching me as I walk away? Like, Phoebe, girl, no! Yeah, she she pulls paper over and she's like, is that guy at the bar watching me while I walk away? And 
I love Piper Pipers. Like, you're 90s Alyssa Milano. A lot of guys at the bar are watching you while you walk away. <laughs> and she's like, no, the guy with the... The guy who looks like he's from New York. The guy with the haircut, which is both really short bangs and also kind of a widow peak, somehow both at the same time. And and Piper's like, Phoebe, that bar stool's been empty for 40 years. <laughs> And Phoebe turns around and, yes, the bar stool is empty. Yes. So, speaking of weird men, we switch from that back to Prue on her way to her interview. And the woman who's bringing her into the interview exposits a little bit that even though her ex-boss trashed her, they decided to bring her in anyway. And by the way, they contacted her. She didn't apply for the job. Which is weird, right? That's weird. Yeah, I would have questions about this, but... uh, I mean, I guess she needs the money. I guess it's a small industry, so you can assume that... She does mention, she refers to uh, Prue's old boss by his first name, Roger, so we do get the idea that this is a very small world. Yeah, and, and it would be, so that's fine, that makes sense. So Prue gets led into her potential future boss's office and <gasps> it's 90s hair. Yup, yup. Oh no, what's gonna happen? I wonder if he's gonna be the big bad for the first season. So we cut from that to, speaking of, well, bads, not very big though. We cut from that to Stefan shifting away from like a car shoot scene to setting up some sort of weird altar with black candles Honest to God, it looks like an 80s... It's the 80s music video version of Human Sacrifice. It really is. Oh, and I love this. He's got the woman... The woman from the bar who... Oh my God, must have gotten back in the car with Stefan after the way he treated her? What, what is with the women in this show? Seriously. But she's tied to a light box, y'all. She's tied to a light box. And she's like, let me go. Please, Stefan. As she struggles boobfully towards the camera. Yeah, her boobs are really framed in this shot, aren't they? Yep. But then Stefan comes out and he's wearing old age makeup. Yeah, yeah, it's not Stefan. It's Jovna. Jovna. As he will say every time he's about to use his eye lasers to drain the life from someone. Which, by the way, is what he does. He uses his eye lasers to drain the light, and he, he, he goes through the eyes. He drains the light out of her through her eyes. You'd think you could just not look at him in the eyes. I was thinking that when we were watching this. It'd be like uh, the Indiana Jones movie. Just close your eyes and look away. Yeah. So she gets very old, except the thing is, it's still her body. So I'm like, you know, you look like a 70-year-old woman now, but your boobs still look great. (laughs) So, yes, he sucks the youth energy out of her, and then he picks up a mirror he had on a table specifically so that he could look at himself after he drained the life out of the woman, and he's like, ah, I'm attractive again here's the thing it's a very tiny hand mirror so he can't see his own bangs so he doesn't know how terrible they look oh see that's that's what if if they just had a bigger mirror they could have just shown that to him and he would have been like no why didn't anyone tell me this is what my hair looked like exactly exactly well cut back from well we cut from that back to prue in the interview 
she's talking about all of the great exhibits she set up and all the things she did at her old auction house and and he's like it's a shame that you think that you're too good for this crap factory and also totally wrong for the job somehow and then and then prue i mean this is her real superpower forget telekinesis prue gets self-righteous about it she's like you know what that was a private conversation and it is rude that you were even listening to that you were yelling in an elevator how could he not listen to it it's very rude that you were listening while i was screaming in your ear at my one night stand about how horrible this place is i i i don't i don't Whatever. And he's like, look, I don't care that you shit talk. I don't care that you shit talked my auction house. You are attracting a younger market to the museum. And that's what I'm looking for at this auction house. But he's also like, look, I just want the person who's here to want to be here. Okay, I appreciate that. I appreciate that as a corporate stance. But maybe, just maybe, if what you really want is for the people who work there to want to be there... You should hire people who apply and not cold call people and ask them to come work for you. Uh, in in fairness to him, he's a demon who wants her for her witch powers. <laughs> in, in, in ultimate fairness. Yeah. In ultimate fairness, he just wants her powers to get stronger before he kills her and takes them. And he wants her to be close at hand when that happens. Okay, okay. But he's like, think about working for me. Because I know you don't have a lot of options. Well, and Prue pulls herself together for, honestly, this is for our benefit uh, to know that she actually is good at her job. She's like, I can identify everything from a Ming Dynasty vase to a Mark McGuire rookie card. Yeah, she's like, I may not have applied for this job and I may have been shit talking it on the elevator on my way up to the job interview, but I do want it. Bye. Which, fair. I mean, it's a, even if he wasn't a demon who wanted to steal her powers, it's a pretty fair going out line, and I would accept it if she got this job. So, meanwhile, in Piper's very interesting subplot, she and Phoebe are dropping off the food that she said she would drop off later, which, fair. And Phoebe has no sense of place because she's like, you know, you'd think after the amazing dicking Andy probably gave her last night, she'd be a lot more chill about, you know, my stuff. Yeah, she's saying this very loudly as church volunteers take the food from her. But you know what? Whatever. She's bringing them free food. She can talk about the dicking her sister's getting as loud as she wants. I mean, that's just my opinion. And she's all, she's also talking about her powers. She's like, pfft. What does Prue care if I use my magical witch powers to see if dudes are good at banging before I bang them? And then she tells Piper that Piper's being paranoid. She's like, whatever. He probably didn't take me literally. When she's she's talking about this while handing in old man casseroles. <laughs> oh, it's great. And the priest the priest shows up and he's like, oh, Phoebe, how is New York? And I heard you lived in New York. God, I forgot how much they pushed that early on. But, which really does kind of bear down on the fact that they do have history with this church. I, is it weird that their grandmother took them to church? No, because being a witch is not incompatible with being a Christian in this universe. Mm. Unlike, say, the new Sabrina. Yeah. 
So this is where we go into our opening bit. Yes, the priest and Piper talking about whether or not it's okay to be a witch. And given how this... I don't get why they'd cast young, attractive, cool priest to be this guy. Because Piper's like, I have a uh, friend who thinks that she might be a witch. And he's like, well... You should murder her. Yeah, he's like, you should murder her. And even if you don't, she's definitely going to hell. I know. I don't understand why as a church... And uh, this is all... I'm not sure if it's confirmed later that the Hollowells are Catholic. But this is definitely a Catholic church. And... The Catholic Church is losing a lot of members. I don't know why he's not more, well, we welcome everyone and we will save your soul from being from being a witch. And instead he's just like, yep, evil. Definitely stay away from here. We definitely don't want you tithing to us. Yeah, we can de-witchify you. Meanwhile, Phoebe has wandered away from the church to a newspaper stand where an elderly, vaguely ethnic couple. Yes, that's a perfect way to describe them. I don't get what they're going for here. He's wearing like a Panama hat and she's got a shawl thing. Anyway, they're buying lottery tickets because as they tell Phoebe, they're like, Hi, we're an old couple who's about to lose our house, but we bought, we're buying these, we're buying a lottery ticket as our last hope. Do you think we should use our grandchildren's birthdays or do you think we should come up with some different numbers to maybe win the lottery and not lose our house we're old and sad and sick people well then phoebe has a premonition and she sees the winning lotto numbers and she tells the old couple the winning lotto numbers which i i like i would totally want to do that with my powers if i had them okay and this ties into something which again not to give all of the credit for good ideas to constance and burge but i feel like kind of the plot of the show at the beginning isn't just about witches helping people by fighting demons but by them using their powers in general to help people in other ways yeah yeah i think you're right and i think you're right that that definitely gets dropped so phoebe also grabs a a lotto little card and buys uh, and also buys a winning lotto ticket because why wouldn't you yeah she's like you know what they'll probably have enough money if we have to split it two ways yeah definitely now the Charmed Ones cannot use their powers for personal gain. Mm-hmm. That is a rule that is a long-running rule that will be inconsistently applied for the rest of the show. But it was established in the first episode. Yes. So. I mean, Phoebe just mentioned it in the first episode, but it has been established right off the bat. But just as a reminder, as she fills out this lotto ticket, they cannot use their powers for personal gain. Technically, she's piggybacking off of helping other people. I mean, I don't know. So in the so so in in the TV show Early Edition, mm -hmm. there's a which is a show about a guy who gets a newspaper a day ahead of time. Yes, he's played by that guy who's the coach in Friday Night Lights. Yes, he is. He's he's played by Coach Taylor. Someone who also got more attractive when he got thicker later in life. Yeah, he did get more attractive. Anyway, he. there's the same deal in that show where he's not allowed to use the paper for personal gain. He can't just play the lotto numbers and win the lotto. But he is allowed to use it to fund his lifestyle of saving people. So every month he sits down and he makes a budget and figures out exactly how much he needs that month and then is allowed to win exactly that amount of money in the lottery. God. My point is 
I wonder if this thing with Phoebe would have worked out if she'd only put down, like, five of the six numbers. So, that show is actually on PAX, because I feel like PAX was really hard up for... Is that a religious channel? It is a religious channel. Okay. I feel like they were hard up for programming, and they were like, maybe the newspaper was sent by God? Well, that, that was the show's position, too. Oh, okay. So they were justified in having it there. Yeah, there, there was, and there was a lot of underlying morality in that show. I thought it might have just been like a "we can't literally just show touched by an angel in the five hundred club, four hundred club, five hundred club, whatever, seven hundred club, seven hundred, whatever number club." Like we need something that's not those two shows. You know, I haven't watched it since I was since it was airing originally on. I'm gonna guess and say CBS. Mm-hmm. Um. But I remember it being a decent show. I, I think I want to watch a couple episodes and see if it holds up. Also, Touched by an Angel might have been too liberal for them because I think there was an episode about it not being bad to be gay. And Oh. Well, I'm sure they didn't air that episode on PAX. Yeah. So uh, Phoebe gets into the van with Piper and they drive off and we see an old woman standing in the church uh, line and <gasps> she's got an angel hand tattoo. Okay, okay, this show, I swear to God, do they not trust us at all? We are, at this point in time, at this point in the show, we are less than halfway through this episode, and they have emphasized Britney's tattoo in two different scenes, and yet, they feel the need to cut away from this shot of the old woman with the angel tattoo to Detective Andy in his car looking at the picture of the angel tattoo just in case you forgot that was Brittany. Okay, not to bring up the episode of Buffy they were very clearly ripping off again, but, you know, in that episode, in Anne, we saw the tattoo once on the guy when he was young and once on him when he was old, and they just trusted us to get that it was the same dude. Charms does not trust you to get what's going on. So, Andy's, like... Where is this woman? Where is he taking them? What is he doing with them? And I don't I don't get Daryl right off the bat because he's like, oh, what do you think? It's alien abduction. Well, he was talking about witches last week. But he was just talking about a guy kidnapping women this week. Why would you jump to that immediately? And Daryl is so casually dismissive of the whole thing. He's like, I just want to know what he's doing with them. And Daryl's like, I don't know. He's probably murdering them. Whatever. God, he's just some crazy dude murdering ladies. I don't know why you've got a big chip on your shoulder about this. I don't know why you have to make a big thing out of it. (laughs) Oh my God, Daryl. Why are you not invested in your job to this degree? I mean, maybe he's burned out. It's not that he's, you know... God damn, you know, it's it's just another crazy. He's just like, whatever, it's probably just another crazy person. Let's get coffee. I mean, this is just a job to him at this point. He's just punching a clock. Apparently, they're staking out... Uh, Quake. They're Yeah, they're staking out Quake because that's where Brittany disappeared from. And... Andy's like, hey, as long as we're staking out my... I don't want to say girlfriend because we haven't had the DTR talk, but... I also don't want to say ex-girlfriend because it's more than that at this point. As long as we're staking out Prue's sister's place, and by the way, I just saw Prue go in, I have to go check something out in the restaurant. And Daryl's like, it kind of ruins the whole stakeout thing if you go inside the restaurant. And Andy's like, I'll just be five minutes. 
Oh, Andy. What a terrible detective. Oh, he is he worse than Daryl, though? No, you're right. He's better than Daryl. And honestly, he figured out that it was somebody killing witches in the first episode, even though they didn't catch him because the Charmed Ones blew him up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Prue is... Boy, all of all of Piper's sisters seem to be kind of blowing up her running her restaurant. Because Prue's like, I know you're busy running this restaurant, but uh, I think I blew my interview and I just want to get drunk with you. And Piper's like, why don't you get drunk with Phoebe? She's she's chatting up that creepy guy who's definitely a serial killer and then prue shows why she's so good at auction housing Hmm. because she immediately recognizes that phoebe is wearing an armani dress that she definitely can't afford yes and i do like how uh prue goes up and she's like phoebe nice dress and phoebe's like you i didn't borrow it from you and prue's like i know i can't afford that and she's like uh ignoring that this is stefan He's a photographer and he wants to take me to his warehouse and take pictures of me. And Prue's like, can I talk to you alone, Phoebe? Okay, so she pulls her sister away from the table. And I just have to talk about that for like a hot second. Mm -hmm. Because the dress is cut in such a way that it shows Phoebe's shoulder blade. Mm -hmm. Where Alyssa Milano has a tattoo that they have covered up with makeup or blurred out it's hard for me to tell what's going on with that i think they tried to cover it up with makeup and just did a terrible job i maybe maybe we're watching this on higher definition than they intended but why would you get a dress that has such a weird cutout that has a specific cutout that reveals the thing you're trying to hide what is going on well anyway that's what's going on with Alyssa milano's tattoo right now that's Alyssa milano's tattoo story and as as prue leads off uh phoebe We see Stefan's hand and he's going all Michelle Pfeiffer and Stardust, which how often does he need to drain the life force from women? Okay, so he's developing liver spots is what's happening. And what we will find out is that he needs to drain like a shit ton this week and then he's good for a year. Oh, right. Yeah, he has to do like seven in a week and then he's good for... Right, like the demons from Hush. Yes. Not that this is ripping off Buffy. (laughs) So Prue has dragged Phoebe into the kitchen and is all like, how do you know you're going to have enough money to buy that dress? Did you use your powers again? And Phoebe's like, I can't control my powers. There was a nice old couple who needed money. I had a premonition about how to get them money by winning the lottery. And I figured, "Eh, so I'll take a little bit. They'll still have enough. It'll be fine. And this is when Prue reminds the audience that they're not supposed to use their powers for personal gain. Which, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's right. And then Andy bursts into the kitchen and immediately gets in the way of a guy and makes him drop a whole bunch of plates. Which causes Piper to instinctually freeze everything. And let me tell you, no one picks up the plates. They're there, frozen in midair, and nobody picks them up. Which... It drives me crazy. Why did you even freeze time if you weren't going to keep the plates from shattering? Well, she didn't do it on purpose. I know. But she's freaking out because she's used her powers like maybe two or three times at this point. And she, they, they, they don't know how far the freeze goes. Prue, and she doesn't know how to unfreeze. And she doesn't unfreeze. Prue peeks out into the main room and she's like, oh, there's a bunch of people. Also, Andy just walked into the back room. I guess he's that a cop. Rude. So, yeah. Well, that's not the rudest thing he's done this episode. Fair, fair. Uh, This is also, by the way, where we establish, because Piper hasn't done this around her sisters before, so this is also where we establish 
that the powers don't work on other witches. So when she freezes time, Prue and Phoebe are still unfrozen. So Daryl has come in because apparently it's been the five minutes. It's actually been ten, he says, which it doesn't feel like it's been ten minutes. It really does not. But as he's coming into the kitchen, uh, Piper manages to unfreeze everyone. I do love how the guy drops off the plates on the ground and then just walks off. Well, and then Piper, like, rolls her eyes kind of to Phoebe and says, I hate being a witch. And it's like, well, maybe you'd like it more if you'd used your witch powers to keep all those plates from being broken. Also, like, it wasn't your powers fault that the plates got broken. It was Andy's fault for barging into the kitchen and barging into a dude. I mean, I would think that the more appropriate thing to say would be, I hate that our sister's dating a cop. (laughs) Yes. And Daryl's like, Andy, we're supposed to be looking for a serial killer in the parking lot. You said you were going to be back after five minutes and it has been ten minutes. They are terrible. They're jobs, aren't they, this week? (laughs) And Andy's like, no, look at my watch. It's been five minutes. (gasps) Our watches are different now? (laughs) And Daryl's like, Andy, we are undercover cops looking for a serial killer. Get in our cop car. It's the red one and back. After that little adventure, we go back to the Hallowell Manor, where it is the next day, and Piper is reading through the Book of Shadows, trying to figure out if she's evil or not. Book of Shadows is not useful on this front. No, it is not. Hey, fun story about the Book of Shadows. Um, All of the sisters, but especially Alyssa Milano, really wanted that Book of Shadows. Understandable. The prop itself. Yeah, it's a really good prop. You know who got it? Hi, Marie Combs. Brad Kern. Ugh, barf. So, Phoebe is like, Piper, what's wrong? Talk to me. And again, this is part of the really good subplot here, where Piper's like, I really don't know what this means like this thing that happened to us is changing our lives in ways i don't know how to handle i don't know what i'm becoming and i'm just i'm having issues knowing if i'm still going to be the same person so i actually thought we should maybe do this scene as our intro scene instead of the scene with uh, pastor williams but i decided not to suggest that because this scene is so powerful. I didn't want it, I didn't want us to be doing it. But this scene is this scene is so well done. And one of the things that makes it so great is it's a sister scene. Yeah, it's a really good scene between the two of them and it's something I wish we had more of later. And yeah. Piper's I just want a normal life shtick will get really really annoying later. But at this point it's an interesting thing because she's It's not that she wants a normal life. It's that she's worried about becoming a different person because of this. Yeah. And you know what? We're early enough in the show that when Alyssa Milano says, you're a good person, I don't believe you could be evil. I believe it. I mean, honestly, given sort of what the sisters become later in the show, this is honestly not an invalid fear. Yeah. I mean, having powers, it's not necessarily being a witch, but having an ability that separates you from the rest of humanity yeah i can see how that makes you behave evilly especially if we're defining evil as self-motivated to the detriment of all around you yeah or thinking of other people as not being real yeah and phoebe tells her look you're not going to be evil i don't believe you have the the capacity for that in you 
you are a good person. You need to know that you're a good person. And also, if any one of us becomes evil, it's going to be me. Which she says is a jokey thing, but oh, later in the show, she does literally become the queen of hell. So Yep. So, down in the waterfront, Detective Andy and Prue are having a date. Is it a date? Inspector Andy. Yeah, well, that, I'm going to call him Detective Andy. Yeah. Do you call this a date, though? God, I don't know. It's... It's like they're trying to define the relationship so soon out of the gate, but also they were dating before, and I wouldn't call this a date so much as a negotiation. Yeah, yeah. They're at a really nice restaurant, though. For this to not be an actual date, for this to be whatever kind of pseudo-date it is, this restaurant is pretty nice. Yeah, and Prue's talking about she's like, look, we haven't seen each other, we haven't talked, we haven't interacted in almost seven years I can't just pick up where we left off, and although I am interested in seeing you, I'm going through a lot of changes right now, and I feel like I need some time to figure out who I am before I can enter in something new with someone else. Well, I like Andy's solution, by the way, which is, let's just consider the sex we had last night as part of our old relationship, Mm -hmm. and now we're starting a new relationship, clean slate. Yeah, and... I don't really remember Andy that much, but I kind of like him in this episode. Oh, poor Andy. Poor, poor Andy. I mean, he's basically... I'm, I mean, he's basically Mulder, if Mulder wasn't the main character of X-Files. Like, if X-Files was from the point of view of one of the aliens? Yeah. 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 And, wow. I, and what I especially love about that is that it makes Daryl Scully. That's... That's 100% accurate. If Scully wasn't interested in figuring out what was going on at all and just wanted to go home. So this date is interrupted by Andy's beeper going off and Prue's gigantic brick of a cell phone ringing simultaneously. And Andy says, oh, dating in the 90s. It's a 90s kind of world, but he's glad he's got his girls. I, okay, so... Is this a 90s thing where you just say what decade it is all the time? Uh, I, y- yeah, it has to be. Because everyone in the 90s wanted you to know that it was the 90s. It's weird. Anyway, they, they've established what they're going to do. Prue needs some space. She just got a call that she needs to go deal with her sisters, so she's going to go. Meanwhile, uh, Piper is finishing up her subplot. She's sitting in her car outside of the church. She tells herself she's got nothing to be afraid of. God, Holly Marie Combs has so much good little acting here. Yeah, she approaches the church again, just like she did, you know, earlier in the episode. But she has kind of more of a determination to her stride. Before, she was very hesitant. And, I mean... And it's good because you can still tell she's afraid. Like, she's powering through fear, but she's also determined. Yes. And she looks up in the sky before she takes the handle, like, just to make sure there's no clouds! <laughs> No thunder's coming from anywhere. And she takes the door handle very gingerly and then pulls open the door. And, and she does this little thing where she pulls open the door and it throws her off balance a little and she goes up on one foot. Yeah, she pulled it too hard and it throws her. And it's a really good small piece of physical comedy. And then she just kind of steps in and and nothing happens. And it's such a good subplot. Yes, she steps in, she is not struck down, she smiles to herself and is like, all right, I am a good person, and that is enough church for this year. Yeah, <laughs> yes. 
Although she leaves the door open as she leaves. Yeah, not a good person. You're letting out all the air conditioning in California. Well, and to be fair to her, it's San Francisco, which is usually pretty cold. Yeah, that's true. So she's letting the heat out. Oh, yeah. She sees old Brittany, who has the angel hand tattoo, and she's like, Brittany? And then it literally does a flashback to every time we have seen the hand tattoo in the episode up to this point. How much did they not trust the audience? I know! But Brittany looks at Piper and says, is that my name? So back at Buckland's, Rex 90s hair is like, Prue, thank you for coming back. I wasn't sure I'd hear from you again. And she's like, but I left, when I, when I left, I said I wanted the job. And he's like, well, I just need to test you a little bit before you can get the job. This is my assistant who doesn't like you because she's a businesswoman and this is a rom-com apparently. Yeah, so businesswomen can't like each other. This is my assistant, Hannah. And then Prue shows off her auction housing by identifying a painting as a fake based on the frame. Mm, which? Not not the frame that's around of the structure that was used to stretch the canvas. Uh. So... That's fair, I guess. Yeah. Or, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about identifying fraudulent art pieces, but that sounds good to me. Yes. And then uh, Rex is like, what about this uh, Degas? And she's like, you know, this obviously isn't the real one because... No, no, she said it is real, but... It, and I, she also... I mean, it, it should... I'm saying this as a person. It shouldn't be the real one. They're all in museums. Well, she identifies it as the only piece that he kept himself, so that would explain why it was at an auction house instead of a museum. You know what? That's not important. What matters is... What matters is Assistant Hannah accidentally hits a ladder. Accidentally. I do think it was an accident. Really? It looks really intentional to me. I guess I could see it being purposeful, but... And, and you know what? I am going to say it was purposeful because... I was going to complain about them having an open bucket of paint on the top of a ladder next to priceless works of art. It seems like a bad idea. So Hannah, either accidentally or not, knocks into the ladder. Well, well, we know it's intentionally later. The paint falls and Prue uses her powers to direct the flow of paint away from herself so that it splatters harmlessly on the floor except that it does splash hannah's shoes <gasps> yes oh no not her louboutins those aren't louboutins oh no not her shoes louboutins have a distinctive heel that uh. those don't it's like literally the only shoe that you should always be ide- <laughs> that you should always be able to identify <laughs> I-, I don't particularly know from shoes sure so rex 90s here is like wow that's amazing the way you identified that painting, that sculpture, and telekinetically deflected paint. I want you on the Bucklands team. You're hired. And Hannah's like, hmm. Hannah gives her, like, such a fake smile. She's like, okay, bitch. It's on. And as soon as Prue leaves the room, Rex is like, so she's a witch, right? And Hannah's like, that's why I did the fucking paint thing. Yeah, she's a witch. I'm still not sure that that was on purpose, but that's okay. So Prue comes home. And is immediately accosted by old Brittany. <laughs> yeah, Brittany's like, do you know who I am? Who am I? And then, of course, Piper comes in to fill in Prue, who's like, oh god, another magic thing? I thought we said we weren't going to do magic things, and that was the end of it. I do really like the fact that Prue is wearing a tank top that matches her cardigan. 
I guess it was part of a set, right? Yeah, it was. A, she's wearing a sweater set. That's like a totally normal thing to wear. God, it's so weird to think of that. I mean, I guess that makes sense. But... When I first started working, I actually bought a lot of sweater sets because I thought it was a good look and I wanted to be Brie Vandekamp. Mm. I mean, they, they are a very... They do express an air of class. And then I realized that it didn't go with my whole thing. <laughs> Probably that air of class. <laughs> but Prue's like, who? And Piper's like, Brittany, it's a whole witch thing. And Prue's like, I thought we were done with witch stuff. And Piper's like, really? Because... Jeremy had that whole speech about how he was just the first and how there were going to be a bunch more warlocks coming before you made him explode. Then we cut to Phoebe going to the warehouse to get photographed with Stefan. She has a... She's taken the Quake van to get there, so I guess that's the only vehicle the sisters have? I guess. Later on, the only vehicle they'll have will be the black SUV before they start getting fancier cars when the actresses get more control over the show. Yeah. So, okay, so let's analyze what happens. I want to talk about Phoebe's premonitions over the course of this episode. Okay, so Phoebe pulls up in the van, gets out of the van, walks up to the door, touches the door handle, and immediately gets a premonition of herself tied down on the light box. Yes. So, this is the third premonition Phoebe's had this episode. Yes. The first premonition was of a guy who is going to ask her out. And her being like, okay, cool. Second premonition was to help out an elderly couple. The third premonition was, yo, you're about to be abducted. She has the premonition, and then she immediately gets abducted. Okay, so that's the thing. She has the premonition. She runs back to the van to drive away, but Stefan is already in the back seat. Now, when did he get into the back seat? I know he's a demon, but where did he come from? He didn't come out the door that she was touching to get the premonition. So did he, like, go out the back door, run really, really fast, slide into the back of the van? What is happening? Well, my question is, what the fuck is up with her premonitions? Shouldn't the first one have been about Brittany getting abducted and not some dude? Did her premonition miss? Like, it tried to give her a premonition about Brittany, but it was, like, distracted by the hot guy at the bar? Yeah. It's quite possible, actually. So... It's just, what was the point of this premonition? Hey, heads up, you're about to be abducted. Ah! <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm more worried about how Stefan definitely didn't have time to get in the back of the van, but whatever. Back at the Hallowell Manor, Piper and Prue are trying to find out what demon, you know, aged Brittany so fast. And because Piper has been obsessively reading the book, she remembers reading about Javna. Javna! Yes, and that... You know, every seven years he has to feed, blah, blah, blah. You've all seen Hocus Pocus. But then we go into weird territory. No, it's cool. The spell that is used to defeat him, like, actually supercharges your hand, and then you throw bolts out of your hand at him. Yes. It was a spell used by the Prophet Muhammad. Oh, yeah, that's weird. Which, what a bizarre thing to throw in. She says that... The Prophet Muhammad invoked, it's called the Hand of Fatima, to banish the demon Javna centuries ago. Back to the hell he came from. So, uh, I, I don't know. It seems weird to use a very important person from a specific religion as part of your witch show. Well, and also, by calling it the Hand of Fatima, you're invoking Our Lady of Fatima, a very famous revelation of the Virgin Mary. So, it's like a twofer. 
Yeah, so... I It's a weird point. I don't really know enough about Muhammad to say if this is offensive or not. It's probably not great. It's... It's definitely bizarre. Like, they definitely wouldn't have said that, like, Jesus used it. Yeah, they wouldn't be like, oh, you know, this is the Methuselah punch spell. Jesus used it to banish Cracknar back to the pits of Mortal Block. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to say it's offensive, and I'm going to say that's the good, that's the litmus test. If you would if you would not say the prophet Jesus used this in the same way, don't, 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 what do you, no, stop, stop. Meanwhile, Brittany sees the address of the warehouse downstairs and has a heart attack. Yep. Womp womp. You know, it's a good thing that Phoebe is 90s Alyssa Milano and Stefan wanted to suck out her life force. Otherwise, they never would have found him. Yeah. It's also lucky that he gave her the address and she didn't take it with her to find... But she know. probably had to look it up on MapQuest and then print out the MapQuest directions. Oh, God. Well... No, that, that couldn't possibly be the case because then she wouldn't have made it there at all. <laughs> hey kids, MapQuest? Uh, we're not going to get into MapQuest. Oh. It was the way you used to get lost in the 90s when the internet was a thing, but uh, before Google Maps was a thing. So, Andy and Daryl are actually doing their job and looking at old ATM footage that points at Quake. And they notice that all of the girls who disappeared all showed up with Stefan before they disappeared. And they're like, oh, it's clearly this douchey photographer killing all these women. Maybe you should have done that instead of staking out Quake. I mean, yeah, probably. So Phoebe is strapped to the breast table. Okay. I'm sorry, the crotch and breast table. Seriously, this light box is definitely enhancing, like, it's definitely emphasizing her boobs. But, like, there are two shots they do with the table. One from the crotch and one from the breast. I'm like, this is so aggressively 80s music video. It's weird. So, Piper and Prue show up in a different car Mm -hmm. to the warehouse. I guess they do have at least one other car. Well, I mean, Phoebe was using the restaurant's van, so... It's just weird that if they had any other car available, Phoebe would take the Quake car. I guess Prue was probably using the sister's car. Oh, yeah, because she was at her job interview. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Although Phoebe should definitely not be using the Quake fan. She doesn't even really work there. I know, right? And Phoebe and and Piper got her job there like yesterday. But they've already put her in charge. So, oh my God. They get what they're asking for. So outside of the warehouse, Prue and Piper exposit that they need all three sisters to do the incantation. So hopefully they can just like save phoebe before she gets aged too old to cast the invocation yeah just like grab her real fast and and do the invocation it's really lucky that the draining thing is taking longer than it normally does yeah maybe it's taking longer because she's a charmed one so she has more energy to drain yeah so prue telekinetically throws javna across the room javna does his eye beam thing on her as piper which means, by the way, because she's just standing in the doorway. So that means the whole strap down to a light box, black candles thing is just purely an aesthetic. Because he doesn't need it. Because he's just sucking Prue out while she stands in the doorway. He's doing this weird thing where she's like, he's sucking her life force out. But he's like physically drawing her towards him. Like their eye, the eye beam is like telekinetically moving her across the room towards him. And as she gets closer and closer, he draws her past the table where his hand mirror is. And she is 
like on the ball. She picks up the hand mirror and immediately deflects his eye lasers. Uh, why did I have a table specifically for a mirror so I could look at myself when I was young again? And the three sisters cast a spell. Prue uses the hand thing and they banish him. Yeah, they, I guess. they banish him back to the hell from which he came. Which undoes all of the youth he's sucked out, so that means that Brittany goes back to being young. I do like how thoroughly they kill him. Like, first he turns, like, back into, like, he's, he's like, falls back, he gets older, he dies, he turns into a skeleton, the skeleton turns to dust, the dust slowly blows away. Yep, there is no evidence of foul play. We cut back to Brittany, who de-ages and is now young on the Hollowell's couch and probably has some questions. Yeah, but we won't see her ask them because we will never see her again. And she's posing so you can still see her goddamn hand tattoo. What is up with this hand tattoo? So the, speaking of hands, the hand thing disappears. I like how Piper's just kind of holding the mirror. Well, actually, it was a very nice piece of business where... Um, like a bride passing off her bouquet, Prue passed it off to her when they gathered together to do the invocation so that she could do the uh, Hand of Fatima. So the girls leave the warehouse just as all of the cops arrive. Like, all of the cops. There's like a million cop cars with their lights on. And they're like, um, yeah, Stefan was going to take pictures of Phoebe, but now he's gone, so bye, guys! So, uh, Phoebe called us because she was going to do a thing with Stefan, but he didn't show up and the car broke down, so we came here to try and fix the van and help her leave. And then Andy, like, reaches in the window and turns the key and the van turns right on and they're like, look, you fixed it! Bye! I guess all we needed was a man's touch. We're gonna leave now. Andy and Daryl don't necessarily know they're witches, but they definitely think they're vigilantes who killed Stefan, right? Andy does. I'm... 10,000% sure that Daryl does not care. (laughs) He's just like, good, I get to go home early. See my wife. Oh, Daryl's wife. Yeah. I'm not trying to say Daryl's a bad cop. I'm just trying to say he's not invested in anything that's happening. Yet. He'll get invested. So, back at Quake, Phoebe comes in and that redheaded girl is still sitting at the bar. And Phoebe's like, hey, getting kidnapped by Jovna. Crazy, right? And the girl snubs her. Because she's still mad at Phoebe interrupting her date with Javna because apparently none of the women remember what happened. Oh, see, I thought she didn't remember Phoebe at all and was like, what the hell, weirdo? But either way, the point is the girls don't remember what happened. So everything's fine and the Charmed One's covers are not blown. It's nice that no one died this time around. That is good. They saved everyone's life. So... Phoebe's like, I learned my lesson. I'm going to be more careful in the future. And Prue's like, really? And Phoebe's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, no, she's definitely not going to worry about having sex with demons in the future. And Piper was like, I think the important thing is that, look, we've learned that our powers are good, that we can be good witches and, you know, do save innocence yeah but there is an upside to us having these powers and speaking of upsides the lotto numbers come on and of course phoebe's vision was correct the lotto numbers are correct but when she pulls out the lotto ticket the numbers disappear which is nice the personal gain thing will be enforced not all that consistently later in the show no but this is sort of a nice take on how it 
stops you. Like, it doesn't punish her for trying to use her powers. Well, speaking of the inconsistency of using powers for personal gain, I do like uh, Prue kind of sticks a weasel word in there and Mm. says, you know you can't intentionally use your powers for personal gain. Yeah, let's see how long that lasts. See if he, not too much further into the show, will literally use magic for sex. So that's it for this episode. The girls decided to use their powers, which is where we left it last week. Yeah. So I like this episode. It's not as strong as the pilot, but it still does have a lot of really interesting ideas. And it is laying the groundwork for a much more interesting show than the one we... uh, And it is laying the groundwork for a much more interesting show than the one we end up getting. Yeah, definitely. So, segments... So our segments, our first segment, uh, this might be the first time we come up short for this uh, because our first segment is precognition uh, in which we look into the future or past and see who will be or was famous in the future. What minor character in this show is actually an actor you might recognize from something else? And I did not recognize anyone. You have nothing? Uh, I don't. Do uh, you have something? I do have something. I do have something. Um, Hannah, the bitchy assistant at Buckland Auction House, mm-hmm. is actress Lee Allen Baker. Oh, wasn't she uh, Lillian Marshall's friend in uh, How I Met Your Mother? She was Ellen, Will and Grace's friend in Will and Grace. Right. I don't know if she was if she was on How I Met Your Mother. No, I think, I think that's what I was thinking of. She was, like, their straight married friend. Yeah, she was the straight married friend. She was, like, the, she was the she was the female half of the straight couple that they were, like, oh, they're before the grace of God, go we. Yeah, the horrors of heterosexuality couple. Yes. Also, I mean, not, not to short her, she was also Lee Singer in the movie Swiped. She is the mother in Swiped that is the catalyst for the main character taking down all dating apps because he can't stand the idea of his mother banging. Oh my god, she was in Swiped? Oh my god, that poor woman. I know, right? God. So, uh, that was Precognition. Our next segment, Time Freeze. What specifically dated this episode? I feel like we've got a lot of things. We do. So you go ahead and go first. What's yours? Okay, so uh, my main one was going to be uh, Prue's giant ass cell phone, uh, thinking it's acceptable to have a loud cell phone conversation in in an elevator, and Rex's 90s hair. Those are all very 90s. I have to go with the joke, joke of Prue's cell phone ringing during the date and Andy's beeper going off. Especially because he called it out as the 90s when he said that. Yes, I guess you can't get much more 90s than referring to it as the 90s. I also want to point out that I feel like Rex, Max, and Brittany all feel like fundamentally 90s names. Oh yeah, those are all real 90s names. Uh, And our final segment... Uh, telekinesis what genuinely moved you this episode and i think it's going to be the same thing for both of us yeah for me it was the scene where phoebe talks to piper about whether or not she's still good oh uh, for me it was going to be piper's whole subplot oh i mean the whole subplot was good but specifically that moment with phoebe and piper was so powerful it was really good and you do really get the connection these three have as sisters and especially the two of them in that moment yes 
so next time on Welcome to the Hallowell Manor is an episode you brought this up at the beginning. Maybe this one should have been called I've Got You Under My Skin because it's about a shapeshifter. Yeah, it's called Thank You for Not Morphing, which why wasn't this I've Got You Under My Skin? It's literally about a shapeshifter taking the form of their dad. Well, yes. Spoilers. Oh, yes. Spoilers. The Netflix description is, The Hallowell sisters' long-lost father unexpectedly turns up with intentions of getting the Book of Shadows out of their house. So I guess that does it for this week. Yes, I guess that'll about do it for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you could head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or about television in general, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Hallowell Manor. Manor.